Hello and welcome to Suede. This is Sarah Osteen and I'm really excited about today's discussion. I am speaking with Demetra Jones who was a co-teacher with me um, approximately 100 years ago um, <laughs> at East Palo Alto Charter. Uh, we taught the same kids uh, in seventh and eighth grade. I taught English and history, and Demetra taught math. Did you did you just teach math, or did you? Teach I did a little bit of language arts. Okay, just a little. Um, and Demetra had a lot more success than I did. <laughs> uh, my main memories are kind of having my head and my palms in my hands sitting in the cl- her classroom at the end of the day, uh, just kind of wondering how she got these kids to perform at such high levels. Um, and she has gone on to have a really fascinating career as a trader, and she's now in uh, business operations with a technology company, but has continued to work with kids who really need her help, specifically at the Omega Boys Club. And so, Demetra, welcome, and thanks for doing this. Welcome, welcome. Oh, I, I so appreciate it. So, let's start off with um, with Omega. Could, would you mind just telling me a little bit about what influenced you to, to work there? Omega Boys Club. So, I was probably, I was at Charter, and then I mm-hmm. was also working nonprofit. So I was doing like work at a few nonprofits over in East Palo Alto. And I was just at my wits. I was like, I'm over it. And the reason being over it is because it was just more dealing with the adults was more frustrating Mm -hmm. than even dealing with the kids. And I know I wanted to have just impact in kids' lives. And um, I wanted to, you know, if it was direct them to the resources or hand them over the resources that they just needed to succeed. I'm one that believes in dreams. I chase my own dreams and I love, love it when kids are able to do the same. And I wasn't able to do that. And it was just really frustrating. And so I was just at my wits and I was just done. I was like, I'm over it. And my two mentors, Christina and Heather, were like, wait, don't stop this yet. Like, let me take you to this place. This is mess. Uh-huh. So I was like, all right. And now it's anytime they ever like, let's do something or do this or do that. I was doing it. I trust them. Um, they know me. I know they will not lead me to danger or anything of like that. So I just trust them. So I was like, all right, I'll do it, whatever. And so it was a training that was offered. And this training that Omega Boys Club, they basically train in the methodology that they teach, that they teach kids. And it's a whole violence prevention methodology. So I was like, all right, I'll take the training. It was like four days. Mm. So I went to the training and it was literally life changing. And the reason it was so life changing for me was that it gave me words, expressions. It gave me answers to what it is I witnessed, knew my life, like just when I was growing up, just things were happening in my community were just like, what the heck is going on? It was the reality, but there was still like no answer, no clarity to why this is happening in my community mm-hmm. and why does it like this? And so Omega Boys Club provided those answers and it gave it language and it gave me clarity and ways to speak something that I could not, you know, process or speak. And so literally changed my life. From there, I was like, okay, this is pretty, this is pretty amazing. And at the time I, um, I had started doing college tours with, for, it started with my family, just wanted to expose my own personal family to higher education. And then of course they tell their friends and parents here. So it kind of grew. So from there, 
these kids that I was taking on college tours or just the kids I knew around the community, I would take, I started taking them up to San Francisco to the Omega Boys Club. And it was, it's every Tuesday night, class started at 5.30, we'd be there to 10 o'clock and I was just going nonstop. And every time I was there, I was helping kids with math because they had a math class mm-hmm. and the math teacher had ended up leaving and the um, the director of the leadership academy there was like, uh-uh, I know exactly who we're bringing on. And they asked me, did I want to do it? And I said, yes. I thought it was, I was volunteering. But they were like, no, we're going to pay you. I was like, oh, oh wow. okay. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, um, yeah. So from there, um, I've now been with them for 15 years. And that doesn't include the years where I was like volunteering and bringing kids up. It was, um, yeah. yeah, from my time teaching there. This is my 15th year now. Oh my gosh. So I guess for people who aren't familiar with, with East Palo Alto, can you just give a quick description of the community? That's where you grew up, right? Right, right. Um, Grew up in East Palo Alto. East Palo Alto is a small little town in like the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, It's surrounded by like crazy wealth, crazy Mm -hmm. wealth, like that's the weirdest part about it. And it's a completely different world. Um, so just there, and it was actually, um, that was the only place, it was a red line city, meaning that was the only place that African-Americans can buy homes. So mm. um, that um, that's where I grew up. And in, I never in, knew the red line. I never in, knew that. Yeah. Red line city, only place. Oh, wow. And um, I think the city, East Palo was what, incorporated in like 1983 or something like that. But um, the city is full, East Palo is full of culture, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's just embedded in that city. And it was so much pride. It was everything. And if I, if I wasn't related to someone, then we grew up together, like very small, close knit towns, like. My mom, I remember I grew up on the block and my mom worked two jobs. So sometimes I'll be at home by myself, but she never worried because I had Aunt Gloria who lived, who lived across the street, Auntie Patsy who lived next door. My grandparents lived down the street. So it was just this community that watched after each other and just thrived and just in culture. And the eighties happened, the nineties happened. And that's when crack cocaine just like blew it away. And Mm -hmm. it was literally like night and day, literally night and day. And um, it basically just wiped out a generation like of parents and everything. And so the violence, the the drug abuse, the you name it, it was happening. And these were kids who were my age selling drugs and they're bringing in buku amount of money. So you you can guess what they felt about education, you know? So it was just, I hate to call it a nightmare because it was my reality and it it was people that I loved and, you know, even family members were involved in this. So like my heart is attached to all these people that's in this stuff. But at the same time, it was just so heartbreaking because we were losing lives. People were addicted to drugs. People didn't have their parents and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, coming, coming out of that and just like trying to process, like, how did this happen? I literally woke up one day and like my whole neighborhood is upside down and for Omega to be able to like bring clarity to that and bring answers to that and help me navigate what I grew up in and what I was seeing. Um, that was everything for me. That was everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it really is an amazing community. Um, it is, I mean, it's sort of diverse, 
in itself too. I mean, there's a variety of different ethnicities at least mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. that were there. And I think when we were there in 2000, 2001, it, I think it was like the murder capital of the U.S. Um, or yeah, up there. It was just coming out of that um, right. dark time. I think, and I know when was it high school? I graduated high school, and so it was about. 95, 97 in there, that's when it was named that. So it was climbing mm-hmm. up out of that and it was still just tragedy happening. Like you said, yeah, it was definitely, well, initially it was an African-American um, town or city and then um, uh, then a large Latino population moved in. Then also a Polynesian population moved. So I had like diverse group of friends from right. Latino to Polynesian to Caucasian, like it was just everybody was there, and it was like you said, we took care of each other, and then, yeah, the crack cocaine epidemic hit, and it was like whoa, and definitely that whole thing of being the murder capital of the world came out of just that whole epidemic. The murder capital of the world? I thought it was the U.S. Was, oh, sorry, the U.S. U.S. Sorry, the U.S. The U.S. U.S. And now I'm like really digging into this, but like, what is the influence of crack cocaine now on this on that city? Now it's just like the whole gentrification, but like what crack cocaine did was just like weaken the immune system of that city. So oh. folks who you know. Families who moved in and bought homes and and owned homes, these like my mom's generation was completely wiped out. If they if if folks weren't being incarcerated behind drug sales, they were addicted to the to the drugs. And so now grandparents are raising kids all over again and, Mm. you know, figuring that out. And now and then you got to think about it. We bought our homes for 20 grand. And it's so, this is so crazy, Sarah. Because <laughs> I, hope, I hope people are killing it. So like those homes now. <laughs> like they, they bought their homes for 20 grand. And then this whole thing, you know, weak and stuff. And now homes are worth, but homes are still skyrocketing because during the crack cocaine epidemic was also the dot-com, right? So <laughs> it was very bizarre. It's like, what? Like, this is crazy right now. Like, so it, was, so it wasn't even just like, it, like the money that was coming in from the community, like it, like of course the community members w- didn't they, they didn't bring that 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 enormous amount of money that these kids were making at that time. So you can imagine where you know where the money was coming from. So homes are going through the roof. I bought my home for twenty grand. I could sell it for hundred and twenty grand. Duh! What am I going to do? Right. So it was just, just all just this mixed stuff, and that's you know this here. Hence, gentrification starts to happen, and people once you move out, you can't move back in because what you can't afford to get back in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like where we are now, like crackle, you know, weakened weakened us to this point and not to be able to continue to gain ground and move forward. So it was like a setback. We're no longer African-American, believe it or not. Like we make up what, like 6% of that population now. Oh really? Yeah. It's drastic change, drastic change. I mean, Mm. you take away crack cocaine, um, would it still be the same? I beg to believe that it wouldn't. Um, I I do believe there was still have been like, an exodus of people like moving out because of, you know, if I buy my home for 20 grand and I can sell it for 600, mm-hmm. hello, goodbye, I'm out, you know? Yeah. But I, I think that it would have been, I think it would have been possibly better decision-making 
because our community, it was such a strong community, you know, mm-hmm. um, strong, educated, thriving community of, um, of people of color. Yeah. Which is great. And so Omega is focused on boys, right? It started with this focus on boys, but then a young lady came and was like, I'm not leaving. And so from there, <laughs> uh, it became boys and girls. So we do, it's boys and girls. Yeah. Do you think there is a need for boys in particular to receive this type of training? Or do you think it's critical for, for both? I think it's critical for both. Um, it's We do violence prevention. And it's I think what happens is that Outside of Omega, we look at violence as someone hurts someone, right? And we, the person that did the, that hurt that person, we look at them as just, we don't see the victim in them, right? It's more so they caused this harm. It's their fault. Do away with them, right? We forget about the, the history that got yeah. Right, right. So we like hurt people, hurt people, right? With Omega, violence is looked at as a disease. So when I'm looking at this young man who committed a murder, I know in this man's right mind, he this is not something he's going to do. But when you are brought up in such an environment that that teaches that this is how you need to survive, this is what you need to do, this is how you get by. If he comes for you, you get him first. You're not going to be what we call you're not going to be no punk. Like then I have a different perspective of this young man. So mm-hmm. now it's more like you did do this, you made the choice and you did it. But if we can get you through all this and if we can deprogram you out of all this, you will start to see who you really are. And that's what Omega does. It eliminates and it eradicate, eradicates. Did I say that word right? It eliminates mm-hmm. like what you have been taught to do. And it allows the person who you really are to come through, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, an example, a young man, um, again, grew the streets, grew up in the streets. Family was what it was, just not, not by any means a family that you would desire to come up in. And this young man had an attempted murder on a police officer. And at the time he was in juvie and he was facing these charges and again, describing what I just described to you, that's who this young man became. And the founders of Omega Boys Club got them up, got this young man up under their wings and walked them through it, worked with them um, and got him in a place to where he can really understand who he actually is. And that young man went on to graduate from Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. He is now like running um, one of the local nonprofits here in Oakland. Like he's phenomenal. Yeah, but that's not, that's the environment he grew up in. He had to pack all that away and do away with it because it was either survive or be killed, you know? So um, Omega breaks that down. And so for girls, for girls, (laughs) they needed, (laughs) they needed just as bad, just as bad. Yeah. Yeah. But sort of different reasons, right? Right. Different reasons. Um, I mean, they both, you know, understanding the value of yourself, but just as young ladies, truly understanding your value and understanding who you are. And then you also, you bring in there, my dad, I don't know my dad, he's incarcerated. What is this? You know, and then the dealing with boys, because then they become attracted to the, to the type of boys that we're trying to deprogram. So that brings on a whole nother cycle, getting pregnant and, the, the father is no longer around or if the father is around, it's just a bunch of mess. It's um, 
it, yeah, it's deprogramming all that and instilling in them who you actually are, like who you really are. So, yeah. yeah. That is one of my memories of teaching those kids that there was a lot of moms and grandmas and aunts um, who were frankly kind of running the community. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, you make this choice to, to commit a lot of time to Omega um, and clearly you believe in the mission. So, and you've described this great success story, but what, what did you do that was re- really successful in impacting these kids? Like wh- what was the most sort of valuable influence on them? I, I think it's, it's several things, Sarah. So my my mentors, Heather and Christina, they always taught me, like, no matter what you do, if you work on Wall Street, if you work in tech, you always can find a way to serve. You just make serving your life, right? So that's how I approach things. So when I was bringing kids up to Omega um, during that time, I was doing what I was taught, right? Out of that came this opportunity hey, this teacher is leaving. We need a math teacher. Because what Omega also does, when if you commit to the program and you work your way through it and you decide to go to college, they help fund you. They get scholarships for the whole four years you're in school. They were noticing that kids were going off and they were failing math. And so she tapped me and was like, we need you. For me, I think like we're all giving gifts. And I think for me, one of mine is, is, is teaching. I don't know. Like people are like, how did you? I'm like, just, like you even how did you do that? I'm like, it I have no magical. idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Like I just, you know, so I really think it's a gift of mine. So um, when she approached me and was like, we need you here, like this is what's happening and we need to help these kids get through this. So I was like, all right, I can come on and do it. And so they didn't, it was no curriculum. It was no nothing. Again, it's a classroom of kids, all ages, all different abilities, different levels, right? So I'm like, oh, wow, like how, do, how am I going to tackle this? So out of that, I just formed a curriculum. Well, let me start with basic and at least move them through algebra and then we can see where we get to. So that sounds like, oh, okay, that's great. But math is a very intimidating subject. And yes. unfortunately, a lot of our kids are intimidated. They love money, but they're intimidated by math. And I'm like, okay, so... I, I know I could teach you math. And like my executive director there told me, she was like, you can teach math to a rock girl. Like, this is crazy. So I'm like, I know I could teach math, but even more importantly, Sarah, I wanted to build their confidence. Yeah. And so in the way I approach math at Omega Boys Club, you're going to know this math, but you're also going to walk out of here feeling confident in yourself. And so with in my classroom and during that time, during that little hour and a half that I have with them once a week, That's what I try to stuff in them. And I do it in the form of math. So now like they're going off to college and they're passing college algebra, 95% success, right? They, it's, it's, they come in and they, and they come in with a sense of pride. Yep. This is hard, but we about to try it. Like I have uh, time at the board for them to work out problems. And I mean, I get kids in there when they walk in for the first time, I ain't doing this and this and that. I'm like, Oh God, here we go. And by the time they've been in my class for so, you know, for so many weeks, 
they at the board working the problem harder than I was working it with them. Like, oh, Ms. Demetri, we're going to get this and da, da, da. Like, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty, like, unbelievable to watch it unfold. And from there, like, we sending kids off to college and they're passing now. But then they coming home with all this debt. And I'm like, you know, look here, I'm ready to retire. Y'all got to get this right. <laughs> so out of that, um. Out of the, like the methodology we teach for kids to stay alive and free, we took that whole methodology and we made it a financial piece as well. So I also offer financial literacy through Omega Boys Club. And a lot of the kids are kids of color. And um, historically, black colleges are very popular schools that the kids want to attend. But unfortunately, um, a lot of money is not given from the historically black colleges for the kids to attend. So the ones who do make the choice to attend, they do accumulate a lot of debt, right? And so the, the project that they have to complete is that you have to do your financial plan for your whole four years. And so working their way through this financial plan, a lot of kids, they freeze and they like, if I go to this university, I'm going to walk away with 80 grand worth of debt. But if I no. stay in California, they paying for me to go to school and I could walk away with no debt or a little bit. And so people like kids literally make adult decisions. This is my dream school It's crushing me dearly, but I don't mm-hmm. want to walk away with 80 grand worth of debt just to attend my dream school. No. So many of them made the choice to attend a school where they don't have to pay or they, you know, it's very little they have to pay. Some was really determined to go and they were like, okay, well, I'm still a go. And they made it their job to apply for scholarships. They made it their job to fundraise for themselves. Um, and he's, and he's attending his dream school and he's attending it debt free right now. This, um, my gift to them is just, no, you are going to be able to do whatever it is that you want to do. And let me help me know your dream. Because once I know your dream, we're about, to, we're about to chase this bad boy and you're going to get it. And so through the curriculum that I teach, that's what I try to instill. I love the fact that you are teaching. So you have the skill set around teaching and connecting with kids, but then you also capitalized on your own skill set, which is math and turned it into this incredibly valuable program for them. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's what I can do. That's about what yeah. I can do right there. <laughs> that's great. So we know that you are like a wizard in terms of connecting with kids and, and doing this. Do you wish that or are there any examples that you can think of when you look back on your career connecting with these kids where you maybe didn't influence a kid the way that you had hoped? Or are there do you kind of ever look back and think I, I, I could have connected differently or not really? Yeah, 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 for sure. I have to look back because that allows me to continue to grow and develop, you know. Mm-hmm. When um when I came in to teaching, you were there, like you were my first year. Like I was hardcore. Like, nope. Like there was uh-uh, it was clearly black or white. You do this mm-hmm. or else, right? And so Granted, that style helped me. It did help me, but it also like hurt too. And it helped because when you're dealing with um, kids who came from no form of structure and no form of discipline, and now it's a teacher coming in, not only saying this is what you're going to do, but you're doing it because I care enough for you to do it, you know, it helped. But then I think about like my time at Omega and even not, I mean, even probably instances not at Omega, but it comes to really like at Omega. When I came to Omega, 
I came in and my, my direct supervisor, who's now like an angel in my life, he, um, she was, she was, she was my elder. And so I came in and I was hard, Sarah. Like I was like, you, you saw me at, at, um, at charter. I was like, dude. And so, and it was like, yes, very. And so like, it it was one wrong move. Okay. There go the door. You can go in and go to the classroom. Mrs. Stell have you back at hers. Like there was no room for like, for, I don't want to say for error, but there was no room for not doing what I said to do. Like I was very rigid. And so mm-hmm. Mrs. Stell, she's my direct supervisor at Omega. She, mm-hmm. um, she was like, yeah, I was on cleanup duty a whole lot at the beginning of the years, right? Because I would just <laughs> lay the class out like whoosh, right? <laughs> Learning was happening, but I was laying them out. But I know in that process, a lot of like walls went up with kids and it was like, you going to learn some from Miss Demetra, but you, you're not going to get through much more. And so at my time at Omega, I teach at Omega, which is, I, I think it's absolutely amazing, but Sarah, it does not compare to what Omega has done for me. And wow. Omega, like, like I said, I love, tell me your dream and I'm going to help you chase it down to the end. Right. And Omega has taught me to get rid of my layers. It has taught me to dream. It has taught me that it's okay for me to chase my dream. I can't tell kids to chase their dreams and I don't chase mine. I can't get up here and teach anything to a kid that I'm not willing to do for myself. So if I'm teaching you to build confidence, I got to build my own confidence too. And a part of that, part of me being so rigid and part of me being just so no nonsense was because of the lack of confidence I was having in some areas. So by doing that and by teaching that and then me becoming the student as well, I'm telling you, like this place has been my miracle. It has been my secret sauce. It has been every now my teaching. I'm definitely a no nonsense teacher, but I'm fluid and Kids, they, they'll come and they'll do, you know, whatever type of behavior, whatever this, but I, I'm more fluid. It can roll through me versus bounce off me and you got to go, if that makes sense. It's like, well, let me see what's going on. So like yesterday was our first day back for the year and we got some kids in and oh my God, you got to every year, every year we got to massage the kids and get them used to who we are and what we do, this is that. And so... These kids, you could tell they were not used to structure and there was no form of rigid. It was like, okay, she, she complaining about the time and how long she got to be here. Well, let me show her how this can apply and help her life. Right. I'm more, definitely more nurturing, but I'm more fluid and I'm allowing myself to roll with the kids versus making them bounce off me, if that makes sense. And like Mrs. Stell, like she was telling, she told me this last year, she was just like, you, you could see the amount of growth that you have had being this teacher here. It, I, I can't even begin to describe it. Like, I think the best word that comes to mind, like I just said, is just I'm just so much more fluid with them now. And yeah. I know that allow for walls to be broken down. I'm more approachable, yet I'm still the math teacher. But God, and then not only that, they get to see that soft side of me that just like I tell you to chase dreams, I'm chasing mine. Just like you have your fears. I have my fears. Just like I'm building my confidence. I'm, you know, like you're building yours. So they, they see the human side of me and not just this teacher, you know? So I could definitely say 
my early days of teaching, yeah. If if I what I know now, if I knew it then, I probably would have been able to affect more, you know, play a bigger life and even more kids. Well, I can tell you what I observed, which was that Yes, the kids knew you were uh, strict, I guess, uh, or you meant what you said, but they also loved hanging out in your classroom at the end of the day. Uh, That was definitely like a congregating area. I mean, I think there was like a lot of love shown towards you, um, but there was also that level of respect. Yeah. I, I I totally get what you're saying about the fluidity, and it sounds like what you're saying is that you're kind of able to meet them maybe more where they're at and where they're showing up. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not exactly about being softer, but um, kind of being more flexible. And so, yeah, anything else in terms of how that, that benefits the kid, like it allows them to chase their dreams. I guess like just meeting and it's not even just the kids, just meeting someone where they are, lets them know that, the words right and wrong really tend to disturb me, but it lets them know that I'm willing to be here to help pull you out. I'm not going to stay here with you, but I'm here right now and help me, let me or help me show me what I need to help you. You know, so when I when you meet somebody at that place, you're giving them a sense that that you can trust me. You're giving them you're letting them know that you're human. This happens. Um, you letting them know that, look, I love you just as much as I can love anybody else, but let me help you. But if you're not willing to meet somebody where they are, it's in a sense, you're telling them that where they are is like wrong. You know what I mean? And it's not necessarily wrong. It's just where they at right now. Yeah. That whole thing of just meeting them where they are. Like, I guess that's a good way to describe what I'm trying to say by when I mean, like I'm more fluid. It's just like the young, I'm thinking about the young lady from yesterday. She was just like, every time we mentioned something about the program, she had something to say. And I'm just like, let me get to where she really is. But I said, from what what I'm seeing and what I'm going to tell you, you're going to be one of my favorite students by the end of this year. Why do you say that? Well, just keep coming. You will see, you know? So (laughs) let me just get to where she is and let her know that, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Just trust me, you know? Right. Whereas maybe 15 years ago, you would have been like, you know, like, I'm going to put you in your place. (laughs) Get out of my class. Don't you say it. Oh, yeah. It would have been, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so fascinating. Well, I I just want to pivot a little bit and talk um, about your life that is going on concurrently with Omega. Um, You were a trader and you went to business school and now you have this interesting role doing business operations um, with a technology company or computing company. It's, I don't think it's a surprise that to anybody that you're probably in a unique role being a, a woman of color in roles like that. What is your experience at, at has been like at these jobs um, from a sort of office culture perspective? I always tell folks like I am very I'm like it's hard for me to be like um, the gauge for this. My experience in life period is interesting as this may sound. My experience in life period is is very similar. It is very similar to what I'm experiencing now, meaning. For my education and outside of college, outside of my college undergrad education, my education, I've always been one out of four, one out of five persons of color. 
um, on my campus or in my classroom. So it became what I'm living now is my norm. And I can't even say like it was a challenge. So the thing I had to figure out was, okay, well, how do I navigate this? Because truthfully, being one of four or being the only person of color, like there's no relating there, right? There's nothing there that really, not really, but there's nothing there that speaks to who you are and what you know and all that. So again, that, that whole dynamic of being right or wrong. Growing up, I had to come to realize that the life I know, that's not wrong. They just, you know, they don't know it, you know, and it's just different from what this is over here. And what I was comfortable with, my social life was what I knew at home. And when I went to school, I was taking care of business. That was school. It was my professional life, if you want to say that. So now being older, I'm in the same environment, Sarah. And so what I'm, I think what has impacted me the most, I can say like as a child, um, you're, you're, you're shielded. Um, if it's from, if it's your mom, if it's your mentors, if it's whatever, like the, the, you're protected from some things, you see things, things happen and you take it back home, but moms go and handle it. Or, you know what I'm saying? My mentors will go and handle it or my dad will go and handle it, you know, but being the adult is now something I'm faced with directly and I have to handle it. Being in these environments, unfortunately, when things happen or don't happen, the first thing that comes to mind is it because I'm a person of color. I never struggled with the dynamic of being a woman. I haven't, that's not, that hasn't been my struggle. My struggle is being the person of color. Yes, it was times during, you know, when I was working on Wall Street, well, not the actual Wall Street, but when I was working in the finance business, it was like, am I not moving a certain way because I'm a person of color? Today in my role, it's the same thing. I feel that I can say, okay, wait, I can say this about being a woman, being a black woman. I feel that I'm, I always have to water myself down. Um, when I'm in that environment, meaning like, I, it could be something like, well, you saw me teach or you, you know what I'm saying? You know me outside of this. It could be something like, um, me just simply saying, no, I don't like it. And it could be, it could be like construed as, oh my gosh, she's so, she's so harsh. She's, why did it come across so heavy? You know, when I'm just saying, I don't like it. So in all my responses, I have to do a, a double response like in my head like I literally have to tame my responses down so I don't like you, you like it's crazy like to you know okay let me slow my response down and let me make sure I use the right words because I don't want anything to be misconstrued you know and I find myself doing that a lot even with um I mean even something as simple as hair Sarah like it's like okay so if I wear this style Am I going to be, you know, how am I going to come across? If I wear it this way, how am I going to come across? And I remember when I was in the finance world, when I first started working there, like I I would do braids, but then when I take my braids out, I would straighten my hair. Um, And I got tired of it. My hair was becoming damaged um, from it, from the hot comb and all that. So I was like, man, I'm about to just let my natural hair be. And I remember getting a comment about my hair, like, oh, well, what do we have here? What do you have going on here? And I'm like, really? (laughs) <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I just responded mm-hmm. to that, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's my natural hair. You know, this is what my hair really looks like. And so <laughs> it was just like, okay, but I, 
I, I, what's happening, I tell this to my like friends when we talk about it, like you, you hear stories from like when you're coming up of age or maybe like you're just getting started, you hear stories from your elders, right? That's been, been through it and just kind of what they've had to do. Da, da, da. And you're sitting there like, God, that's crazy. How do you do that? Like, what do you do? And now that I'm in it and I'm walking through it, I'm reminded of all these stories and I'm like, whoa, this really is true. You know, like I am paid less than X, Y, and Z. I am, you know, like, it's just like, I I feel like right now my mind, I don't want to say my mind is being blown, but it's just like, dang, it was true. You know, like it's one of those moments I'm having. That's, that's what it, that's what I'm carrying right now with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like you've, you've been like a chameleon in terms of picking up sort of what's culturally acceptable and what's not, or, and I say cultural to like the office culture um, and, and been able to accommodate that. But what's so interesting to me is like you and I can sit here and say, that's crazy. Like you shouldn't have to, act that way. You shouldn't have to water yourself down or be worried about how you wear your hair. Um, but it just, it's interesting to me that it doesn't seem to eat you up. It looks, sounds like you're focused on kind of more the end goal. Yeah. I think that's the best way to put it. That's the best way to put it is that I, I'm definitely, it's definitely not my focus, but I do say this. I don't walk around. I don't walk around dodging dodging things that need to be that need to be brought to someone's attention you know yeah I don't walk around with my head in the sand like I'm not this I can't worry about this I'm just and I always say like I have to pick my battles because if I literally pick every battle Sarah I will never get any work done like never I literally have to pick my battles I could really have a battle every day and so it becomes okay well how do you want to carry this and it, I think like we briefly spoke about this before it was just like do I honestly believe this whole dynamic, this whole culture is going to change of the lack of diversity and blah, blah, blah. I don't believe it's going to change. Right. Mm-hmm. But does that mean I sit down and just not voice my pain or do things that I can do in my world to make it better? Absolutely not. I'm not going to sit back and just let it be. So it could be something simple as like the, the firm, the firm I work for, the company I'm working at, like, this is, it's a startup and we're building from the ground up, right? So this is a fine time to implement things where you're showing representation, where you're showing that things do matter. And so as you, as you're putting buildings in place and we're putting pictures on the wall and we're naming conference rooms, um, can we stop for a second? Because I don't see Nam person of color in here. So let's talk about yeah. this, Right. And that that's where I start. So like this is the ground level and these things that we talk about during these sessions that we have, this is the time where you start to implement that. And if we want more folks that look like me in here and to feel comfortable, they shouldn't have to walk in a place and nothing they can see. They they, they can't relate to anything. So we're naming conference rooms. So I need some people of color on these conference rooms, please. But again, that was a battle that I picked and I knew I needed to pick. I, I, like I said, I don't definitely don't sit on the sideline, but you, you definitely got to pick your battles because you'll be battling every day. Every day. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're talking about really 
small changes, but they are tangible changes. Small, and, and you're exactly yeah. right. Tangible changes that will speak volumes, that will speak mm-hmm. volumes. And for the life of me, I don't get why that's so hard to understand. For years, I remember I attended a, um, it was like a meetup or something. And I think it was, they were talking about diversity and tech and this and that. And it was a gentleman there that's been in the, that was around since what the seventies. And he is still speaking the same language that we speak today. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's little things that can be done that can make a world a different for some reason. I just, I don't know. It's not clicking. It's not clicking or maybe, like I said, maybe they just, maybe folks just don't want it to click. So yeah. Yeah. Well, Demetra, I want to um, end on a high note and just say I'm so impressed with your career and the impact that you've had on so many kids. I mean, it's it's probably in the thousands at this point. So, and as along with everybody else in the impact that you're making in the, the culture of your office and your community, it's it's incredible and it's really fun for me to to reconnect with you. So, um, I have about 10 million other questions, but we'll leave it there. Maybe, maybe I can interview you again sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This is great.